Let's take a moment to pray together before we hear from the scriptures today. This is the dog prayer. Lord, would you make us like dogs this morning? Every dog thinks that the meal he's eating at the moment is the most important meal ever. And we want to be like that. Every time we pray to you, it's the most important prayer ever. Every time we come to worship you, to hear of your goodness, it's the most important time ever. That every time we hear the gospel in the scriptures, it's the most important time ever. And every time I preach, it's the most important sermon I've ever preached. Lord, would you give us hearts like that? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So uh, today we are back into a series that we've been working on for a couple of years. Oops, that's not what I wanted to see there. So this is um, a sermon series called Learning to Love God's Word. And if you've been around for about three years, you're around for the beginning of it. And what we're doing is just taking time to go through the Bible, one book at a time. So one sermon on each book of Scripture We're not asking the question, what is in this book? We're not trying to learn the contents of the book. We're not asking the what question as much as the why question. Why did God say this to his people? And why should we be so glad that he said just this in just this way? We're trying to ask that question once of every one of the 66 books of Scripture. So that over the course of about three and a half years, we'll cover the whole thing. Now, we're about two-thirds of the way there. After today's sermon, we'll be two-thirds of the way there. We've got 12 more books to cover in the New Testament and 12 more books to cover in the Old Testament. The 12 that we will cover in the Old Testament that are remaining are called the Minor Prophets. So we did a five-week series back in the fall on the Major Prophets. And today we're starting with the book of Hosea, the minor prophets. And when I say minor in English, that tends to mean less important. But uh, in Latin, that word just means there's less of it, right? So these are shorter books. They're not less important. They just, you don't need a whole scroll to fit one of these on it. You can fit all 12 of the minor prophets on one scroll. And so they were often considered together one book of Scripture, we're not going to try to cover all 12 of them in one sermon. We're going, to, we're going to start with Hosea today, the book of Hosea. Hosea tells us how God keeps loving a people who have persisted in going their own way. Hosea tells us uh, that story uh, through the lens of what God is doing with Israel. Now, what does Israel have to do with us? The work of Jesus has expanded God's promises so that they belong to anybody who puts faith in Him. So these, what we hear in this book is how God would speak to any of His people in any time, any place, who are persisting in going our own way. We're going to see that this morning from Hosea chapter 11, and it'll be easier to follow the Scripture reading if we say just real quick quickly that Hosea 11 is telling us the story of God's people in five parts. You're going to hear that it picks up with the exodus out of Egypt. 
I called my son. Slaves in Egypt being delivered in the Exodus. And it moves on from there to talk about uh, a division of two kingdoms. Israel fragmented to become the northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel, another name for that same kingdom, Ephraim. You're going to hear that in the Scripture reading. And then the southern kingdom was called Judah. We won't hear about that in this reading because Hosea deals with the northern tribes and how they were through centuries going astray from God. You're going to hear the story in Hosea 11 of how how God is responding to the fact that, that despite His tender love for centuries, His people have been rejecting Him. Then we're going to hear about exile that God brings as discipline. You'll hear a reference to Assyria. You'll hear a reference to people going back to Egypt. So as the kingdom of Assyria comes in and conquers the northern tribes of Israel, some people flee to Egypt for protection and safety. You'll hear that part of the story, but then it will end this way. God calling his people back to himself and back home. Restoration after the exile. Hosea tells us that story. It's mainly a story of how God keeps loving people who persist in going their own way. Let's hear that from Hosea 11 as Donna reads for us. The scripture is from Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt, and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? Swords will flash in their cities, will destroy the bars of their gates, and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even if they call to the Most High, he will by no means exalt them. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboam? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in wrath. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from Assyria. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So before we can really dive in and hear what God is saying to us from the book of Hosea, and specifically here, chapter 11, we have to clear the ground a little bit, um, and we have to... uh, to understand a little bit more of the what before we can really care about the why. 
So uh, one of the things we do is, is to just tell the story, right? And, and we did that already. We heard it in the scripture reading. We started the story back when uh, Israel was in Egypt, out of Egypt, I called my son and went all the way through this story of rebellion and exile. And, and then we end the chapter with the people being settled in their homes as God, as God says, I, I can't give up on you. There's a part of me that says, even if you call out to me, I will not hear, but I can't give up on you. I can't stop loving you, even though you have persisted in going your own way. So we have to know the story. We also need to know a bit of the background that helps to impress this message on us even more deeply. And that background uh, is heard in verse 8. How can I give you up Ephraim, name for Israel? How can I hand you over Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? Never heard of that before. Uh, how can I make you like Zeboim? That's a great question. Since I have no idea what that means, I don't know how to answer it. Well, but, but if we were living in Hosea's day, we would know exactly what that means because we would have heard many times from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 29. And we would hear a reference to these two cities in the context of God talking about wrath and judgment on a people who persist in going their own way. Here's Deuteronomy 29, verse 19. When such a person hears the words of this oath, this oath that we will be faithful to God. God, you have brought us out of Egypt. You have loved us so kindly. We, we, we will make you our only God. We will be your people forever. When somebody takes that oath and, they, and then they invoke a blessing on themselves saying, I will be safe even though I persist in going my own way, they will bring disaster on the land. That's the background for everything Hosea is saying here. How will God deal with people who have said, you know what, I'm safe. God's going to keep loving me even if I persist in going my own way. What if I have that kind of arrogance and presumption in my heart? You know what, God made so many wonderful promises and whatever I do, they're mine. <laughs> I'm, I'm home free. Even if my heart is a thousand miles away from him, he has to be good to me because he's a sucker. How will God deal with that? Well, this is what God says in Deuteronomy 29. The whole land will become like a burning waste of salt and sulfur. Nothing planted, nothing will sprout, no vegetation will grow on it. It will be like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim. Complete destruction will come on people who persist in going their own way, God says in Deuteronomy 29. And here's God saying in Hosea 11, I won't do it. I will make a way to keep loving my people when they persist and have persisted in going their own way. Now, some of you are getting nervous right now. You're like, man, I got kids, and I'm afraid that they're hearing you, preacher, give them permission to do whatever they please. 
I'm just doing what we sang about. Overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It is reckless to talk like this. But you can't study Hosea 11 for a week and make it feel safe. It won't work. And everybody hearing the reference to these two cities would know that. Wait, God said that one day he would just have it up to here with us and wipe us out. But here he's saying, how can I do it? How could I do that? I am God, not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in wrath. Even these people, I will make a way to call them back to myself. I will make a way to bring you back to me. God says. Now, how? How is that? Well, that that way involves repentance. Verse 5, they refuse to repent. Verse 7 talks about uh, my people are determined to turn from me. Same verb. Turning, repenting in Hebrew are the same language. If you turn from God, repentance is turning back to Him. This way involves repentance. It involves God's compassion. Verse 8, my heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. Repentance and then God's compassion is aroused. And a radical kind of love. When Israel was a child, I loved him. I loved him so much. That even after centuries of persistently running away from me, I will make a way to bring this beloved child of mine back to me. Repentance and compassion and radical love. And now we're in a very dangerous spot. The dangerous spot we're in is that we have been conditioned to hear this message about repentance and compassion from God and His radical love in two very wrong ways. So if we don't stop to unpack those, we will probably hear one of those things instead of hearing what the the real beauty that's actually here. And if you've... uh, If you're familiar with the parable of the prodigal son from the New Testament, Jesus did the same thing. He tells a story with three main characters in it. There's a father who represents God. There's a younger son who says, hey, dad, wouldn't care if you died today. Want my inheritance right now. Going to go below it all and living just how I please. I'm going to persist in going my own way. And an older son who says, I'm not like him. And Jesus says, if you really want to understand the radical love of God, if you really want to understand this father, you got to stop hearing the gospel message I'm preaching as though you were the younger son. You got to stop hearing this gospel as though you were the older son. You got to start hearing it through the ears of this radical love. So we're just going to take a moment and do the same thing. It's the same gospel that Jesus preached right here in Hosea 11. So one wrong way to hear this message about repentance and God's compassion and his love is through the ears of moralism. Moralism says 
You know your duty, and if you fail to do it, it will lead to condemnation. Okay, that's, that's the starting premise of moralism. Here's the assumption behind it. God cannot love bad people. So, if you have failed to do your duty and you are a bad person, God cannot love you. Therefore, therefore, repentance has to mean this. If God is going to love anyone, and if, and, if we, and if you fail to do your duty, you're a bad person and God can't love bad people, then repentance must be a bad person promising to be a good person from now on. Repentance is a bad person saying, I will do better. Repentance is that older son mentality saying, Father, I have slaved away for, for you for years. I have been doing my best. And if you can show me a place that I've not done my best, I promise I will do better. I will try harder. And that is repentance. Repentance is that bad person saying, from now on, I'm going to be good. And now, guess what? God's love is, is God saying, now I will show my compassion to these newly good people. It's not radical love. It's God loving good people. Hey, you used to be bad, but now you're saying you'll be good, and now I'll love you. Right? So the repentance comes first, and then God's compassion is aroused, and then he loves these people who have said, I will do better, I will try harder, I will be good. If you think that is the Christian message, then please stop believing everything you've ever heard about Christianity and start all over again. Because none of that is true. Well, some of us aren't like that older brother. We're like the younger brother. And the younger brother represents what what I would call in our day humanism. Moralism starts with this kind of paradigm that says if you fail to do your duty, God's going to condemn you. You're a bad person. God can't love bad people, so you've got to try to be good, and then he'll love you. Humanism starts with a very different... Humanism starts with a question. Hey, who's to say what anybody's duty really is? There's really no way to know that. So your duty is... Okay, no lie. Last night, I'll just be... I'm going to be honest and admit it. I love this movie from 1998 called The Mask of Zorro. Zorro has always been one of my favorites, right? Not the Daffy Duck version of Zorro, okay? 1998, Antonio Banderas. And there's this scene where he's pretending to be a priest and hearing confession from this woman that you knew from the first moment you saw her. She and Zorro were going to wind up together. That's how these movies go, right? And, um, and she confesses this sin to this priest. And he says to her, just before, you know, going out and saving the day, he says, the only real sin would be to deny the true feelings you have in your heart. Who's to say what your duty is? Who's to say what sin is? 
whatever's in your heart, do that. And, 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 and everybody will give you their approval and nobody can really tell you you're wrong and God works that way too and God has to love good people. God has to love good people. So repentance on this model, repentance is the good person saying the bad stuff wasn't the real me. You've heard it before, haven't you? Dustin Hoffman, a few years ago, accused of behaving very badly on some movie sets when he was the 50-year-old movie star working with teenage movie stars. And his response, his response was, I'm sorry, that is not reflective of who I am. I'm a good person. That bad stuff wasn't the real me. I'm really pretty good. Man, a columnist down in New Orleans got hold of that and really took him to task. And he said, you know what? If you did it, it's part of who you are. And you can't just sweep it under the rug. Stop trying so hard to pretend you're good. Hosea 11 never says, my people, prove to me how good you are. And then I will make these promises to you. My people, show me that the bad stuff wasn't the real you, that you really have been good all along. And then my compassion will be aroused. And then I will make these promises to you. Show me you're good first. And then I'll do my part. It's not what it says. Hosea 11 is like the, this is Rembrandt's painting called The Return of the Prodigal. It's one of the most famous paintings of that parable. It shows the father embracing his son as returned home. If you remember the way Jesus told that story, the son wrote out a speech, right? He says, hey, the slaves on my father's estate eat better than the pigs I'm feeding and I'm starving and I will go back to the father and I will say, if you'll just make me one of your servants. He's got all this big speech rehearsed and then you get to the part where he comes and sees the father. The father runs out to him and and says, hey, everybody, bring my ring and put it on his finger. Bring my robe and put it on him. I want everyone to see that he is my son. I have loved Israel and and, and I called my son up out of Egypt. I'm so glad he's home. And the father talks so much about how much he loves the son. The son never has a chance to give the speech about how serious he is about being good now. That's what's happening here in Hosea 11. The father isn't swayed by the older son's speech. I've slaved away for you all this time. We're not having that conversation. Do you want to come into the party or not? He isn't swayed 
by the logic of the younger son's speech, doesn't even give him a chance to say it. What you hear is this radical, radical love. Let's hear it through real ears. God says he wants to reshape our picture of who he is. If you think I'm a God who can't love bad people, then you're going to try real hard to prove to me that you're going to be good from now on. If you think I'm a God who has to love good people, then you're going to try real hard to prove to me that none of the bad stuff was the real you. But here's what I want you to hear. I am the kind of God who is not like you. I am not limited to your ways of telling this story. I am God and not a man, not a mere mortal, not a mere human. I am not thinking about these things the way that makes sense to you. I am going to be honest about the depth of my pain and still find a way to bring you back to me. Moralism isn't honest about the pain. It says you can do enough good to outweigh the bad. The bad didn't hurt that much. And you can do enough good from now on to offset it. Humanism isn't honest. It says if, you do enough, if we see enough good in you, we'll overlook the bad. Oh, you're right, Mr. Hoffman. That wasn't the real you. There's enough good in the real you that we will sweep under the rug all these things that were obviously not the real you. Neither one of those approaches is honest. Listen to the radical honesty with which God speaks here to us in Hosea. It hurt really bad because the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. It hurt really bad because I'm the one who brought them out of Egypt. And yet they kept worshiping other gods named Baal and burning incense to images. Israel was my little son, and, and I had to teach him how to walk. I had to let him wrap his little hands around my pinkies and hold them up. You know how you do that with your little toddler, your grandchild, your nephew, your niece? I did that for him. And still, he said he wanted to love someone else instead. That hurts. I was like a farmer, lovingly caring for my animals, bending down to feed them, verse 4 says. Taking a heavy yoke off their neck, putting a cord of kindness and love around them to lead them back to where they would be safe and warm and cared for. And it hurts really bad when you love someone that much and they still say, Dad, I don't care if you drop dead, I want my inheritance right now. Our ways of looking at these things are just not honest. And God's way is terribly honest. He says, when you persist in going your own way, it hurts me deeply. But I will keep loving you. I will declare my love for a people who have persisted in going their own way even before they commit to return to me. Even before you hear these words from the prophet Hosea and get a chance to come back to me, I have already spoken them to him. I have already said, even before you have a chance to return, I've already spoken. Here's the truth about repentance. 
Repentance is what happens when radical love captivates a heart. First, that heart has to stop pretending to be good. If you can stop pretending to be good long enough, then this radical love, overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God can grab your heart. That's the gospel. That is good news. It's been there since Genesis 3 when God came down to Adam and Eve and they didn't ask him to come. What have you done? What have you done? They didn't ask him to come looking for them. They didn't want to be found. He came. We didn't ask Jesus to come. If we had asked for Jesus to come, he would have come preaching moralism to those of us who like that message, who are older brother types who like to look down on everybody else. We would have gotten that kind of Jesus. If we had asked for Jesus to come, he would have come preaching humanism to those of us who like to kind of have my cake and eat it too. Can I go sow my wild oats and, and still come back to God and everything's going to be okay? We would have gotten that kind of Jesus. Instead, we got this very different Jesus. There's a man named Kenneth Bailey who taught the Bible in the Middle East for over 30 years. Among people... Who, um, who's still, whose culture is still like that of the New Testament in many ways. Bedouins, a lot of people in peasant villages. And he says that the most common response he got when he would teach the, the parable of the prodigal son is that everyone, you know, Jesus starts the parable. He says, there's this son, and, and he says, Dad, drop dead, I want my inheritance right now. And then the story continues, and he said the most common response was for people to stop him right there and say, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. In our culture, the father should have gotten a big stick and beaten the son to death on the spot. There should not be more story. This should be a very short story. In our our culture, if a father is hurt that deeply by his own son, then at some point, love has to give way to wrath. If if the pain is that deep, then the story will be over very quickly and the son should die immediately. And Jesus is saying to us, but this God is God. He is not like us. The story continues, even though the pain is felt that deeply. The father absorbs the pain long enough to let the story continue. Jesus is telling us about a God who will himself absorb the pain we have caused him. We understand that most fully the crucifixion of Jesus 
But already that parable is, is hinting at it. That a father who doesn't give vent to his wrath but absorbs it and holds it long enough to take it himself so that he can go on to tell this story of radical love. And when that kind of radical love gets a hold of us, when that kind of compassion is aroused before we even know we're in the story yet, then it leads us to real repentance. That radical love grabs our heart. We're free to stop pretending we're good people. And suddenly what happens is we're changed and transformed and a real new kind of goodness starts to show up in us. Our goodness didn't create God's radical love. Our goodness didn't arouse God's compassion. The goodness is the fruit of what happens when His compassion and love grip our hearts.